Amen. Thank you, Kate. I love <laughs> the viola, right? I hope I got it right. I said the violin last time and got wrong. Amen. It's, uh, but I, I love uh, the sound uh, that that makes. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, uh, we want to welcome our district superintendent. Uh, Dr. Gardner is here. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I was <laughs> meant to say that earlier, and uh, the, dis- the video distracted me. Amen. <laughs> but we thank you uh, for being here uh, with us today. Uh, we welcome you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Amos chapter 5, uh, while you're turning there, uh, uh, my boys and I, uh, when they were younger, uh, when they were real little, uh, they, uh, I wanted to teach them the concept of hide-and-seek. Uh, now, they got really good uh, as they got older, uh, and I learned uh, with Jeremiah that, uh, that if I tried to make him hide and he stayed quiet enough, I'd have no idea where he was, and Mom would get home and I would get in trouble. So I learned quickly uh, that we can't have each other hide. Uh, that would be bad. So uh, we had to find something that we could hide and try to go find and uh, so I love I love to take uh, my phone Uh, that's a good thing to hide uh, with children because if they hide it somewhere and you don't know where it is you can call it and hopefully find it uh, at some point but uh, all of the kids almost uh, uh, all of them would uh, when they were really little and we try to teach them the concept of hide and go seek and they would take dad's phone to go hide it (laughs) for some reason they thought the best hiding place in the world was the kitchen table uh, just set it right up on the kitchen table. It's in the other room. Obviously, Dad can't find it or can't see it anymore. And uh, my boys, uh, they, that's what they would do. They love to hide it in plain sight, right in front of me. They love to, uh, they to just uh, uh, place it somewhere where it was easy for me to find. So I would play the game. You know how the game works, where you walk around and say, Oh, man, I wonder where my phone is. I, I wonder where it could be. And you go to every other room. I'm, I'm trying to get them to understand the concept of hide-and-go-seek, because uh, that's the fun part, is the seeking and the finding, and usually the kids would look at me as though I had lost my mind, as though I was crazy, and they'd look over and say, Dad, here it is, uh, right on the kitchen table. Can't you see? I mean, and they must have thought I was losing my mind, and so I I find uh, that with kids, uh, sometimes they don't get the idea or the object of the game. They, uh, they keep putting it in the same place, and, and they think that that's fun, and they seem to laugh and have a great time. Amos is writing, uh, he's not writing, but he's prophesying to uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, he has some pretty tough prophecy. I mean, we've talked about some of our minor prophets before, and they've had some really tough things to say to the nation of Israel, but man, this is, this is rough. Uh, I mean, all the way through. I mean, there's very little spots where he stops and takes a moment for a breath of uh, fresh air. I mean, he really lays on the nation of Israel what they're struggling with, and it seems to be a lot of the same theme of uh, what all the other minor prophets keep talking to Israel about. And so he begins to try to get them to understand who God has designed them to be and what our purpose should be, the the message that we should be listening to, the lifestyle that we should lead, the way that I should carry myself, the way that I should conduct myself is consistent. And so he lays it out for them. And he goes through and talks about all of the things they've done and how there's no shelter for them, no protection for them. 
And here in chapter 5, he, uh, he gives them a glimmer of hope. He gives them the, the message of understanding. It's very short, it's very quick, but he gets them to understand our purpose and what we are to do. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Amos chapter 5, beginning to read in verse 1, reads like this. Hear this word, O house of Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I pray that we're able to pause for just a moment. Lord, that we're able to see Uh, Lord, that you've called us to something far greater than ourselves, something that's far greater than this building. Lord, you've called us to uh, be your hands and your feet. Lord, I pray that you challenge us through uh, your prophet Amos, Lord, that it, it challenges us to dig deeper in our faith and in our walk with you. Oh, Lord, I ask, as I always do, that you hide me behind the cross. May it be you that is seen and not me, your words that are spoken and not my own. I love you, Jesus. I ask this all in your precious, holy, and wonderful name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, The first thing I see, we've been going through the uh, Bible and we've been trying to go through uh, all of the minor prophets and and we're going through the the entire uh, Bible, making sure we've made it through and all that God has to say to us. And as I came to Amos, this can be a a difficult uh, book to go through and to read and and it really breaks your heart. It it reminds me a lot of, uh, it reminds me a lot of Maybe the way that that I live today, it reminds me uh, a lot of some of the things that that I may be doing that I don't really want to admit as you read what Israel was going through and how they were living their lives. But the very first thing that I see when I uh, go through the book of Amos, the very first thing that jumps at me is that he was just an ordinary messenger. He was just an ordinary messenger. I know this seems to be a theme throughout the Bible, but Amos is the most unlikely messenger that God could send. He he has a message that he wants to send to to Israel, and not just Israel, specifically he wants to send this uh, to the northern kingdom. And and Amos lived in the southern kingdom. So you have two different kingdoms. They're, uh, They're split, they're separated, and this message is for the northern kingdom. So not only is it strange that God would take somebody from the southern kingdom to uh, give a message to the northern kingdom. And not only was it a message of, hey, you got to straighten up. No, this was, this was a very convicting prophecy that, that he was giving to the northern kingdom. This is rough. I mean, this is right in your face, just telling you the truth, not sugarcoating it in any way, wanting you to know, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth because I want you to live. I want you to know. I want you to understand. So not only was he uh, one that came from the southern kingdom trying to preach a convicting message to the northern kingdom the the thing that really jumps at me is he was just a shepherd a lowly shepherd 
He wasn't someone that uh, could command a lot of attention. He wasn't someone that could walk in and say, listen, I have credentials. You know who I am. In fact, listen to what they say of him. It's right in Amos chapter 1, right there at the very, very beginning. It says, uh, Amos chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. <laughs> he was a shepherd. Uh, he was one that, uh, that had a job that, uh, that really nobody would listen to. I mean, think about it. Who would listen to a shepherd? <laughs> it was the same thing we deal with when we go at Christmas time. The, uh, Jesus was born, and the first ones to be proclaimed and hear and know the good news are shepherds. Who listens to shepherds? Who cares about shepherds? Shepherds didn't have a high place in society. In fact, what we could probably realize the way society was back then... Uh, uh, was that he obviously was not good at anything else. Amen. Uh, he obviously couldn't carry another job or do anything else. It's one of those lowly jobs. It's one of those jobs that you get because you really can't do anything else. Raising sheep is not really a spiritual job. Not in those times. Uh, raising the sheep and making sure they're protected and getting them in and getting them out and watching over them and being that shepherd that he's supposed to be is not really a spiritual job. It's not one that would give him great credentials, make people say, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. This guy really knows what he's saying. In fact, it's not a job that required great skill. You didn't have to be the best in order to do this. In fact, they probably could have gotten anybody to do this job. It's a job that... Uh, it's a job that they would train people at the best with or give to people who could do nothing else. Yet, God chooses him to spread the message. God chooses somebody uh, who, well, let's, this is the best way I could say it. God chooses somebody who is a nobody to go and tell everybody the truth. Wow. God didn't care about his qualifications. Amos is unworthy and he's unqualified. Surely God would use someone else. Surely God would use someone more respectable. Somebody who lived their life being a prophet. That, that's his job. I, I'm going to live my whole life being a prophet. I, I'm going to live my whole life devoted to God. I'm going to live my whole life serving him. He, surely he could have used somebody with a little better credentials. Someone more respectable. Someone with a better education. Someone who could do the job you see it didn't make any earthly sense but he amos is who god chose to use Ooh, what does that mean oh man here's the good news i find that this is consistently how god operates in his word God operates this way from the beginning. All, this is his character. In fact, this is what he chooses to do over and over and over. Consistently, God operates by doing this. He uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. In fact, he uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. That's what he does consistently from beginning to end. And the reason he does it that way is because he gets all the credit. Because everybody realizes a lowly shepherd couldn't know all this stuff. A lowly shepherd couldn't do this. No matter what job or status that we have, God is calling each and every one of us to share the truth with others. But preacher, I'm not ready yet. 
I'm sure Amos had a lot of really good excuses. But pastor, I I don't have the credentials. (laughs) God doesn't care about what we've done or accomplished. God only cares if we're willing to do what he's called us to do. He will empower us. He will give us the credentials. It got me to ask a question of myself. Am I willing to let God use me without making any excuses? Am I willing to allow God to use my life, to use me to reach my friends and my neighbors, to to use me to share the truth with others? Am I willing to let God use me without making excuses as to why I'm unworthy? The first thing I see is that he was an ordinary messenger that was sent to uh, give an extraordinary message. Uh, The second thing that I see, and maybe most concerning of what was going on, is complacent followers. Complacent followers. You see, God's people, especially those in the northern kingdom, had become complacent in all matters of life. You see, the northern kingdom was at the height of their political power. They they were doing well. They were enjoying a very prosperous economy. Things were working better than they ever imagined. Everything was going the way that they hoped it would go, and life was moving at the pace that they wanted it to move. And what happened was they no longer depended on God for everything because everything was just working well for them. You see, they didn't need God anymore. They didn't need Him anymore because everything was beginning to to work the way they hoped. He had answered their prayers and He had blessed them so much that they put Him on the shelf. Have you ever done that before? Oh, they put Him in a prominent place. I mean, they put Him in a place where everybody could see Him. If you came in their house, I mean, you'd probably see a picture on the wall or, or maybe the Torah was open. or They'd probably have something there. That, I mean, He was there, but He was on the shelf. Even when they needed Him, oh man, they called on His name and they begged and they pleaded. But now when things begin to go better, they put God on the shelf and they give Him a prominent place, but He's not a part of their life. You see, it did not take long for them when you live this way and put God on the shelf. It does not take long for them to become spiritually corrupt. You see, what was going on at the time, these people who followed God and served Him only and, and loved Him, were, uh, they had idols soon begin to be worshipped throughout the land. In fact, even in the, uh, the center of their place of worship, even in Bethel where they would come and, and have a center place of worship, at that place there were idols all over that were being uh, worshipped throughout the land. And those who were well off and doing well in life began to ignore those who were less fortunate in life. The people were self-centered, and they no longer needed God. Has this ever happened to us before? Amen. (laughs) Did you know after 9-11, when the attacks on the uh, Trade Center, that church attendance spiked? Praise God. Did you know that East Flint Church of the Nazarene hit our highest high-water mark 
at that time of, of attendance. Did you know every other church on the district, <laughs> I haven't looked at all their stats, but they pretty much hit that high watermark at that time. Because, man, when something bad happened, we knew exactly where to turn to. We went right to the shelf, right to that prominent place. <laughs> and we pulled him off the shelf, and we began to say, oh, Lord, we need you. And we began to make him a part of our lives. And, man, we showed up to church, and, and we were packed in. And we were praising God, and we were singing praises. Hallelujah. And then, and then he answered our prayer. And, and then things got better. And things got better. And while we had times that were tough and times that were struggling, we liked to keep God on that prominent place. And it didn't take long before church attendance moved its way back down. You see, the prosperity that they had brought corruption and destruction. Amos was warning them that a complacent present leads to a disastrous future. Oh, that was good. That took all week to think of. Amen. I mean, if we think about it, what he's preaching to them and what he's trying to say is a complacent present leads to a disastrous future. And that's true for each and every one of us. I can't go around and shake everybody and tell you how to live, but I certainly can do this. I can check my heart. I can make sure I'm not putting God on the shelf. I can make sure I'm not complacent. I can make sure I'm not comfortable. You see, complacency is always a danger that is creeping at our door. It wasn't just for those in the Old Testament. It wasn't just for those that were prophesied long ago. This is something that keeps rearing its ugly head generation after generation after generation. And I, I'll be honest, I'm not supposed to say this, especially not with our district superintendent here, amen. But I'll be honest with you, this creeps at my door. I don't want to become complacent. I don't want to settle I don't want to say things are good enough. I don't want to say, okay, God, you've answered my prayers. Now stay on that place on the shelf. You see, everything, everything in life is meaningless without God. Without Him, everything is meaningless. Everything that I do, everything that I accomplish, everywhere that I go is meaningless without the Lord. All blessings come from Him. Everything that I've ever achieved, everything that I've ever done is not because of me. It's because of Him. And if that's the case, and it is, then I am nothing without Him. And if I am nothing without Him, then I will give Him all that I have I'll give him everything that I have, whether it's uh, my wealth, uh, whether it's my abilities, uh, whatever it is that I have that God chooses to use, I want to give it to him because I never want to become complacent. I, I never want to get to a place where I think everything's okay and I can rest and I can relax because I'm nothing without him. It got me to ask a question of myself. <laughs> it's not a fun question. It's a question that I did not like. The question is simply, have I become a comfortable Christian without knowing it? Ooh, I'll let you think about that for a little while because it bothered me this week. Have I become a comfortable Christian without even realizing it? I see that God sent an ordinary messenger 
I see that the message was sent to complacent followers, people who should listen. But what I see is that the message is a consistent message. It's a consistent message, not one that God changes depending on the group of people that he's talking to or the generation that he's talking to or the church that he's talking to. Uh, Nothing changes with this message. It's consistent from beginning to end, from church to church, from Christian to Christian, and the way we're supposed to live our lives. You see, The message Amos was sent to preach, the message he was sent to tell others, this shepherd who had no clout or no ability to to draw attention to himself except what God gave to him, the message that he sent was to wake up complacent followers. The message was to wake up those who had gone comfortable, wake up those who feel life was going well and had put God in a shelf, even though it was a prominent place. And it's the same message. It wasn't just one that Amos preached long ago. It's the same message that Jesus preached while he was here on this earth. It hasn't changed. Not from uh, the very beginning of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It doesn't change. It's a consistent message. It's a simple and consistent message. It's right there in verse 4. He mentions it in other places. Right there in verse 4 he says, This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. You ready? Here's the consistent message. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. The message hasn't changed, not from the beginning, uh, not to today. (laughs) Preacher, if that's the consistent message, uh, you've been beating around the bush for a lot of years. Amen, I know. But the message is consistent, and it's simple. It's not extravagant or no pretty words. And it's a message that cuts to the core of who each and every one of us are. Uh, You see, no matter what they had done in the past, the the nation of Israel, no matter what I have done in the past, it it didn't matter how much of a spiritual mess I have made of my life and a spiritual mess I have made of everybody around me. It didn't matter. In fact, it didn't even matter where they were in their relationship with the Lord Whether they had just been saved or whether they had served him all of their lives, the message did not change. It's consistent and it cuts to the core of who we are, whether we just saved or whether I've served him all my life. The message will hit all of us and cut to the core of all of us the very same way. In fact, Jesus said that it was the key to our relationship with God. The very key in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was preaching saying, listen, you want to be a follower of mine? You want to be a Christian? Here are the standards that you must have. And right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, the message is consistent. Seek first His kingdom. Seek me and live. If I put God first in my life, if I seek God first, then I will truly live. If I seek God first in all the decisions that I make, God will guide me and direct me to the right decisions. And He'll lead me to the place I need to be. If I actually would just seek Him first. Pastor, that sounds too simple. I know. I struggle to do it. I mean, God, he's the best. 
He's got great plans. But sometimes I think my plans are better. Maybe not better. That's, that's the wrong way to say it. My plans are faster. I'll get to the, I'll just cut to the end there. You tell me what you want now. I got a plan. I mean, you got a good one, God, but my, mine's just faster. Just whoosh. But if I seek him first and I allow him to have control, it's then that I can truly live. Oh, you see, he created me. He knows the deepest desire of my heart. He knows everything that I desire. He knows what I desire more than I know what I desire. He knows everything about me. He knows the deepest desire of my heart. And he already knows the plans that he has for me, the plans to give me a future and a hope. So the question becomes, why wouldn't I seek him? Why wouldn't I seek after him? If he created me and he knows me and he loves me and he has a perfect plan for me, why wouldn't I seek him first? You see, Amos is prophesying to a group of people about their destruction. (laughs) Oh man, you could imagine how well this sermon is going over in his time. (laughs) Not only because of his credentials and where he comes from, but it's one, of the, it's one of those hellfire and brimstone prophecies, man. I mean, he's just laying it out there for him. He's just saying, look, uh, look there's no hope for you, man. You're gone. Uh, hey, you got one shot. This is it. You're going to go through a bad time. You got one shot. This is it. Seek God and live. That's the best I can give you. But in this message, we hear that no matter what we face, or the struggles that we have gotten ourselves into, we must always seek Him, and we will live. You know, I find I pray to the Lord for help, not because of where He led me, but because of where I got myself into. But no matter where I am, either on the mountaintop or in the deepest pit of the valley, the message is still the same Seek me and live. It's what we must do. It's the simple, consistent message. I once heard a preacher say this. Objects are lost because people look where they are not instead of where they are. Makes sense. (laughs) God says that we are to seek Him first. Seek Him and live. My boys like to hide my phone on the dinner table. It was the best hiding spot they could come up with. (laughs) And I spent a lot of time trying to show them the fun of hide-and-seek And I tried to show them that the fun part of hide-and-seek was the seeking part. The part where where you're seeking and looking. That's the fun part. But no matter what I tried, and no matter what I said, and no matter how I tried to convince my boys, it didn't matter to them until they got a little bit older, but no matter what I tried, the fun part to them was always the finding. It wasn't the seeking that they cared about. It was the finding. It gave them great joy when I found the phone. It gave them great joy. 
when I was able to find what I was looking for. You see, God wants us to seek Him. But like my kids, He understands that the real joy is not in seeking, but in finding. He wants to be found by us. He has not intended the Christian life to be an impossible hunt for an elusive God that requires an enormous faith. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The Christian life is a simple walk to a welcoming God that requires only childlike faith. God asks us to seek Him, and He's not hiding. His joy is when we find Him. His joy is when we look to Him and live. Would you stand with me this morning? As we close today, I... Uh, we're not going to have an altar call this morning. If you feel like you'd like to come to the altars, they are always open. Don't ever feel you cannot. I thought it would be a good way to end today just singing a, it's an old hymn I heard when I was a little boy. And it's one I sing in my head often when I'm finding myself in a place where I need help. I ask myself these questions. If God loves me, and he wants me to find him. Have I been allowing the enemy to make me feel unworthy of God's calling? That happens. Am I satisfied just sitting on the sidelines, comfortable and complacent? Oh, I guess really today i got to ask, do I seek God with a childlike faith, knowing that he is always in the same place? His joy is when we find him. Let us sing just a couple times through the chorus, Look and Live. Amen. What a simple message, but one that rings true. It's only that we look and live. I don't know where you find yourself today, but if you find yourself in a place that you feel stuck, if you find yourself in a place where you feel frustrated, this message is consistent and it's true. Look and live. Seek God and live. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning so thankful for who you are. Thankful, Lord Jesus, for the great blessings you bestowed upon our lives. Lord, I'm thankful uh, that you don't ask us uh, to do anything extravagant. <laughs> that, Lord, when you ask us to seek you, you are always in the same place. <laughs> oh, Lord, because your joy is not in the seeking, your joy is in the finding. So, Lord, may we seek you this morning. In every situation of our lives, Lord, may we put you first. Be with us, Lord, as we go out into our neighborhoods and we love our, our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. Lord, may we share the good news. Oh, Lord, may we not become complacent or comfortable. But, oh, Lord Jesus, may we make you the center of our lives and not on the shelf only when we need you. Lord, help us. May we serve you with every fiber of our being. I love you, Jesus. And I ask this all in your precious holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you this morning. May you go this Memorial Day weekend and enjoy your family and time and share the good news. God bless you. You are dismissed.